the last several Sunday evenings, we've been discussing children, the evangelization of children, what happens when infants die, and I want us tonight to consider a term that you'll not find in the scripture, although the concept is there, and I'm sure that you've heard it, many of you have heard the phrase used of the age of accountability. What do we mean by that? Is that a doctrinal position? Who is, falls into that category? Is there a certain age n- uh, number uh, that we could say about that? And I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 16 tonight, and we're going to look at various portions of Scripture, but sometimes we overlook, as we read through the prophets, we often focus on the message that God has given giving to his people at that period of time and the future prophecy that will be fulfilled. But one thing I would encourage you to do as you read through the prophecies, God often paints vivid pictures of his attitudes, his mindsets towards certain things. And we're going to see that in this portion of Scripture and others. Look there in Ezekiel chapter 16 in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. Nor, none I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out into the open field to the loathing of thy person, and in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in in thine own blood, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, Live. Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, Live. And I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great. And look over in verse uh, 20. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters, whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? Thou that hast slain my children. Notice the personal pronoun there. Thou that hast slain my children. The children are the Lord's. And deliver them to cause them to pass through the fire for them. And in all thy abominations and thy whoredoms thou hast not remembered the days of thy youth when thou wast naked and bare and was polluted in thine own blood. Well, what a graphic picture and imagery and words here the Holy Spirit uses from Jehovah to his people. When he gives his prophecy here in Ezekiel chapter 16 about the Israelites, in these verses he tells how he alone nourished them. There would be no nation had he not taken them and brought them to where they were. In their defenselessness, he gives the defenselessness of a baby born and not desired to cast aside, left to die. In pitiful circumstances, he kept them alive and caused them to flourish. In this graphic word picture that he uses for the nation of Israel, we see how God views helpless, defenseless children. In the paper today, and I'm sure you've heard, it's unspeakable things, and our own area here where an eight-year-old brutally killed a one-year-old child. There's not even a place in our society, in our way of dealing with children to deal with that. They don't know where to put this child who purposefully 
and brutally killed another. While that's not the focus of the message, I cannot help but think for a child to do such a thing, what horrors they were exposed to themselves by their rearing and by the culture, the medium, the, the, the what so-called entertainment that a child at that age barely knows between reality and, and make-believe. And uh, it just it grieves me that we as a nation and as a society and a culture have allowed entertainment, so-called entertainment and media to mesmerize and to take over the hearts and minds of our children. There's no screening. There's no parental uh, guardianship and, and watching over the, the sewers of Hollywood that are piped into our homes every day. And you can say what you want to, but you cannot have that kind of filth in the home and it not affect children. But that's, that's a whole different thing. God calls these his children, my children, the, the helpless ones. In verses 16 through 22, he rebukes the Israelites for mistreating their little ones. God says these children that they sacrificed are his they belong to him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 30, 34, he refers to them as innocence. Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocence. Now that's a, a, a very important word. The Holy Spirit has all vocabulary at his availability, but when he calls a certain category of one's innocent, that's what he means. That's what they're referred to. And we're going to look at that in detail in just a moment. Jeremiah 19, verse 4, Because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have killed, filled this place with the blood of innocence. I could not help but think of the innocent aborted children whose blood has been shed. Innocence, those who committed no sin, those who were not uh, at an age of knowing right from wrong. But these words, I keep emphasizing that God, my children, these innocent ones, he distinguishes these children who have been cruelly treated and brutally offered as sacrifices to these pagan gods, Baal, Moloch, and others, from those who act premeditatively and presumptuously. There is a difference that God makes between them. God feels great compassion and tenderness toward them and when he tells the prophet Jonah for example to go and preach to the city of Nineveh who, that nation totally given over to unspeakable things not unlike all these nations were uh, guilty of what we heard read in Romans chapter 1 in our scripture reading remember Jonah did not want to go it was not so much that Jonah was hard-hearted although his his vision spiritual vision was off and he was very uh, Selfish, although uh, without uh, trying to bring it to home, if, if God called you to go into a known ISIS place to preach the gospel uh, clearly and loudly, uh, you would have reservations about that. So let's not be too hard on Jonah. Uh, the people fierce and known to fillet their, their uh, enemies alive and all kinds of atrocities they would commit. God said, go to them. I want you to preach repentance. But the point being there in the last... Uh, verse of the last chapter of the book of Jonah, he describes the people there because even after they repented and uh, of their sin, Jonah was not real thrilled about it. And God is consoling Jonah or trying to get through to him, and he says, should I not spare Nineveh, this great city? And there we can see God 
tells us in Romans 9, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. That's my business. I'm God. And he asked Jonah, he said, Is not, should I not have mercy on the Ninevites? Let, let not Jonah forget that he should not have had mercy shown to him if God was absolutely just. There would no man be standing. When God came down and, and, and surveyed the earth at the time of the flood, he would have been just to destroy the earth totally and not left a remnant, absolutely destroyed everyone, and he would have been just. And so when God intervened and sent a preacher to Nineveh, he says this, Should I not have spared Nineveh, that great city, where are more than six core thousand persons that cannot discern their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Now, did you miss that? The number of those who didn't know their right hand from their left hand, six, six, uh, six score thousand of them, those were the infants, the children, the innocents. Those who had not, were not hardened in their sin, who had not chosen to live wickedly as their parents had. And the ones here that are described as not knowing their right hand from their left hand is a, a figure of speech for those not responsible. The, the children, the infants, the mentally uh, handicapped ones who are not capable of making judgment. Isn't it amazing that God points out specifically how many of those there were? As we've already discussed, the great multitude of those in heaven God has counted more than the, the sands can, of the sea and the stars in the heaven. He has a count of it. And in Nineveh, Nineveh alone, there were this many of those who were not responsible, who had not reached that time where they knew uh, not even what their right hand or left hand were. You go down to a nursery, those kids don't know which is their right hand or their left hand. It takes a while. That's, that's a, a something that there's a, a milestone when they learn this. We turn right here, we turn left here. You remember as parents when you would uh, go over those things with your children. These children, as well as <clears throat> he mentions the innocent animals, they were pitied by the Lord. Someone might ask, is there a certain age then when children do cross the line from being innocent or in that category of not between not knowing their right hand and their left hand, is there a certain age when children become accountable for their sin and for their actions? From the, the wording of these and other verses, the, the word innocence, the, and those not knowing their left hand from their right hand, there seems to be very definitely a time when children are innocent and a time when they cease being innocent and therefore become accountable for their actions before God. I think that we should refer to, and there's a, a very a helpful book uh, by Dr. MacArthur, John MacArthur, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, and we have that in our library. It's, it's something that you need to know, and I've drawn a lot of my material from his book there, and also as helping those who uh, are grieving the loss of children, the death of children. It's a very excellent book, but he points out, instead of thinking about an age, that we should think about this time of being... Uh, instead of an age or a certain age cutoff, and somehow or another, the number 12 enters our mind by culture. But I want to show you from the Scripture why people have used that, that number. That's, that's not by mistake that, that has become part of our psyche about the age of accountability, although I don't want us to look at a fixed age. I think it is a case-by-case -case situation where we have to look at the condition 
the condition of the person, where they move from an age and, and we consider one's condition. People are saved at various ages. If I were to ask you tonight, we'd have all kinds of testimonies from little children, uh, early childhood to various ages. And so uh, we would say that in our own development, and I think you consider in your own testimony, there was a time when you began to realize eternity and death and the, the, the work of Christ on the cross and your responsibility and uh, forgiveness and judgment and even understanding lostness and the whole ramifications of salvation. And as we looked at this morning, saved from what? What, what do you mean by being born again? Those are concepts that, uh, that must uh, come to bear upon a person. We cannot point to a numeric age we're all immediately cross a line and become, all right, now you're accountable because you turned this age. Uh, because the Bible doesn't say so. There are references here, there are allusions that we'll consider, and I do believe that, that this idea is taught, but not as a fixed age. I believe the Bible teaches what we could refer to as the condition of accountability. And because of that, I believe children who die before reaching a condition of moral responsibility be with the Lord. I think the Bible clearly teaches that. We looked at various references last week, notably when David prayed over the death of the baby of, uh, born to Bathsheba. I cannot, uh, he, I cannot bring him back to me, but I can go to him. David was assured where that baby was, that he was innocent, that he was safe, uh, and that uh, the, the Lord, in his mysterious ways, does whatever he does to us when he translates us from this life. We who are saved by grace, we still must be translated into the heavenly kingdom when it comes our time to, to go. And uh, the, the Lord doesn't just, babies, we know the Bible says they're born in sin. And so in some mysterious and miraculous work that he does, he fits them from heaven when they pass from this life to the life to come. And he's fully able to do that, isn't he? He who spoke the worlds into existence. And that brings great care and comfort for all of you who have lost babies and whose, when I say lost, you, you know what I mean, that they have died and gone home to be with the Lord. Dr. MacArthur writes, a child who is not, uh, has not reached moral culpability is a child who has not reached sufficient ma mature understanding to comprehend convincingly the issues of law and grace and sin and salvation. Only God knows the time when a child becomes accountable. The reason Scripture includes one account of Jesus between his infancy and adulthood at the age of 12, and that's the reason I think most people have that age in their mind, is to show that he had come to a full understanding of his divine nature and his personal mission by that age. When he told his earthly parents who had been looking for him, I must be about my father's business, this was a, a boy who had full understanding about who he was and what he had come to do. And he was informing them at the age of 12 of his full awareness of the realities of life, his life as the son of God. And that is a good general age to look for the condition of accountability. I'm not saying that that is the magical age, but that is a time where children are passed through childhood and babyhood and childhood, early childhood, where they're about to pass into adolescence. And uh, our evangelism and efforts of explaining the gospel ought to be full force at all times. 
But I think that's a period of time when they're moving into teenage years where parents should give a special prayer because at that point, what begins to happen is the influence of peers and outside influence becomes predominant over or on the par with, in many cases, and it's according to what kind of home and school situation church is going on, where the parental uh, influence becomes marginalized because of peer influence, and this happens in the best of circumstances. It is a fact of life, although parents are, should be fully aware of this and in control of those influences. We don't just sit and let the culture rob our children or their peers, tell them what to do. They get their directions from you and from your implanting uh, uh, into them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it, it grieves me that I often see this phenomenon among parents whose children reach this age, they begin to back off instead of being ever, ever more vigilant and watchful uh, and with what I call controlled freedom, and that's a whole different message in and of itself, uh, and yet to, to be very uh, aware and on your toes about those influences. It goes without saying that, that uh, babies who die in, the, in utero or who are, or are killed or miscarried have not reached that condition of moral culpability, of knowing the right from wrong. And those who are infants or young children haven't either. Uh, there comes a time, and, and, and children develop at different stages, and some are more astute than others, but we need not think just because they can parrot Bible verses or know the culture that we're in. Now, let's face it, those who are faithful to church and Sunday school, there's a wealth of information piped in their hearts and minds and brains day by day, and they're very uh, capable of parroting, knowing facts, is a far different thing at any age of knowing facts and that become uh, information that works upon the heart and soul to bring them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must be aware of these things and be careful, but not assume. that Jesus said, suffer, allow the little children to come unto me. We shouldn't stand as stumbling blocks, but neither should we assume too much or push too hard. Where we should push is in the prayer closet and our influence and our love and our con uh, control of the circumstances around them that they will receive the right information and be under saving influences. How, how inestimably important it is for them to be under the sound of the gospel and hear gospel messages that, that was like what was preached from the pulpit here this morning because that is the seed that is planted in the hearts of children to bring them to saving faith in Christ. There comes a time when a child comprehends sin and responsibility, and willfulness, and sinning purposefully. And uh, they, they understand God's commands and the, the penalty of death and Christ's provision and what God's unmerited favor is. But it moves from here and here to become a burden in the heart. You see, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is something that's obvious. It can be seen. And while it will manifest itself to different degrees in different lives... The work of the Holy Spirit is a real work. It is a necessary work that precludes conversion and re regeneration that leads to conversion. But we need to, to pray and ask the Lord to show and lead us and guide us in all these things. But there's just a big difference between answering the questions right and knowing stuff and being truly repentant and believing on Christ alone for salvation. They 
there comes a time where they get it and they understand it, that sin has consequences and, and God is sovereign over all, that he has sent his son to pay the debt uh, that we owe to his holiness. As Dr. MacArthur puts it, from child to child, that precise age varies. It is the condition that counts, not a calendar. And I hope all of you with understanding hearts and discerning minds would know that. Some children never reach that condition because of birth defects, because of mental handicaps. They are children all their lives. They are safe we might refer to someone, and I'm not trying to be indelicate here at all, that that person has the mind of a two-year-old or the mind of a five-year-old, and they are permanently in that state. Can they know about Jesus and love him? Yes, they can. And uh, if they make efforts to receive the Lord and they want to be saved, I think we at any age ought to accommodate and explain and point those people to the Christ. But because a person may be 35 years old, and in their mind, because of the conditions of their birth and that God has allowed, they are still a child. And they never get beyond that standing or condition in this life. They have not become morally responsible. This is, uh, this, uh, is the time of, of children of believers. Is, uh, this is true of children of believers as well as children of unbelievers. Uh, even heathens who are steeped in horrible practices, as we've read here in in the scriptures, and unspeakable depravity. They are considered innocent, and should they die before reaching a state of comprehending right or wrong, they go to heaven. Uh, this would be true even in, in undeveloped countries, or however you want to describe it, where the infant mortality rate is, is very high. Uh, I was reading about a missionary nurse who felt so... Um, uh, such a void of knowing how to minister to parents who were the birth of children was just every day normal and uh, when she dawned on her this truth that these uh, were the Lord's they're my children he says and that they pass from this life into his presence it gave her great comfort and, uh, and a comfort to parents and actually serve as an evangelistic tool to explain them the loving kindness and the ways of God if you think about it all across the world and throughout history of the world, the majority of those who have died before becoming accountable uh, are from children of lost or unsaved parents. And so it's a great comfort to know that these who would not have ever heard the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, go into the presence of the Lord. Mark it down. God never says anything that's not true or uses phrases are teachings that he he chooses the words in the scripture that he means and if he says this category of, of people or children are innocent that's exactly what he means now there's a sense that we all inherit a sin nature and we're all sinners but again there comes a time where it passes just a condition a proclivity to sin until we actually decide you know what i'm going to do what i want to do i am going to have my way and there's a difference between having the capability of doing that and actually acting upon it. Uh, they do not bear the guilt or the condemnation, these children, these babies born of pagan parents, that their parents do. They are innocent before the Lord. Now, I want to be very careful here. That does not mean, as some evangelicals erroneously teach, 
that the heathen lost who never heard the gospel go to heaven or, or somehow uh, get a pass. That is nowhere taught in the scripture. In fact, the opposite is taught. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. Uh, we know that in heaven there will be a great host of people from every, the scripture is very clear that there will be a, a, heaven will be populated from people of every tribe in every nation. Well, how could that be true? It must be the babies of those people of every tribe, of every people group on heaven, on earth. Will be in, there will be some from every walk of life, every people group on earth who will, who will join that great host of heaven. There are places where the gospel has never been preached. There are still tribes and, and, and groups of people who've never had any kind of scriptural gospel message presented to them. How could it be that there will be those from those people groups in heaven? It can only mean that those, their children who've died, their babies who've died, have gone to the presence of the Lord. Uh, children of, of heathen, idolatrous, drug-crazed parents do not bear the guilt of their parents, but they may live with the consequences of their parents' sinful choices or practices. I think some have erroneously taught, and they use those verses where the Lord says, I visit sin to the third and fourth generation and so forth, not the, 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 uh, the guilt of the deeds that their parents did, but children certainly do often live with the consequences, even the sinful choices their parents made. And just by the fact, for example, 200 years ago, there was a lamb who decided, I'm going to leave England and I'm going to come to America. Now, I live under that choice. You know, I'm not British. Uh, I'm American. And at, at some point, that forefather decided, I'm going somewhere. I'm going there for a job or who knows why they came. But they did. That decision and the consequences of that decision changed the course of, a, of several generations of his descendants. Now, that was, a, that, uh, that was a simple choice, or maybe not so simple. It was a choice that didn't ha- necessarily have horrible ramifications, although he could, he could have just as much made uh, uh, other kinds of choices that uh, would bring about horrible ramifications for generations yet to come. And so sin begets more sin, doesn't it? Often children pick up their parents' sinful habits. That's what they're exposed to. That's what they've been taught. Their attitudes, their, their biases. But this is not saying that they bear the blame of their parents' sin. We all will stand before the Lord before our personal condition, not because of our parents or what they did or didn't do. That the children of the heathen lost people are innocent if they die as children they are not safe if they reach the condition of accountability and die without a saving knowledge of Christ. With that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 2. And I want to, uh, for you to, to mark these verses because when you're witnessing, uh, these questions do come up. People ask, what about people who've never heard the gospel? They think they've got you. Like, you can't mean that those people die without, and, and go to hell. But the scripture tells us that no one is without excuse. Look in verse 1 of Romans chapter 2. He has laid the foundation of the lostness of everybody everywhere in, in chapter 1. Why are the nations and the heathens lost? Why do they worship idols? Why are they in the condition that they're in? Because they chose to. They said no to God, no to the revelation that God gave. And one of the judgments of God is to leave people alone 
and allow them to have their own way. The worst thing that could ever happen is for God to back off and say, okay, have at it. I'll step aside. Leave Ephraim alone, he says. He's bound to his idols. Leave him alone. Now, again, that's in that mysterious category that we don't all know the wherefores, the winds, or hows, but it happens. God leaves people alone. He turns his back on nations and societies. There are civilizations that are in the dust today that once ruled the earth but are no longer there. You, all you have to do is read history that's not been tampered with by modern-day man, and you'll find out that God, especially biblical record, of all kinds of people, fierce and powerful and world rulers, they're no longer there. God deals with people, turns his back, and leaves them alone. Now, that's clearly taught in the Scriptures, but what about responsibility? Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, because of all that, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are. Now, what it says, nobody has an excuse. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for, where thou judgest, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. We are sure, and I love this verse because it's so... We, one thing we know, we are certain that the judgment of God is what? According to truth, God's judgment of lost and, and, and people will be based upon His Word, what He has said. Let God be true even if every man is a liar. We are certain that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And do you think, O man, that judgest them which do such things and, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? He was speaking to the Jews here. Do you think that just because you do have privileges, you do have the oracles of God, you do have the Word of God, that you get a pass, that you can sin on the side... And that you're somehow different from the pagans who are doing the things that they've not had a word, a, a, a written and verbal word from heaven. They're doing them. You think you can do them and get by with them and you'll get a pass and you'll be okay? Do you think you'll escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou, do you look down upon the riches of His goodness? That would be us, wouldn't we? Are we not a, a nation of people blessed with goodness? and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render, what? To every man according to his deeds. Again, when we go back to the salvation of children, the safeness of children, uh, they, one of the reasons why uh, we, we give for children going into heaven, because not only because they've not reached the age of accountability, that the Bible clearly says that judgment will be based upon our deeds. We sin because we're sinners, but we choose to sin. And those who are lost and stand in the judgment will have their sins to answer for, and that's why they will be cast into eternal uh, hell. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and obey not the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil, that practices evil, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. Again, he says nobody's excluded. I don't care if you are of the privileged class of people who've had the word of God and the promises of God. But 
There is no respect, verse 11, of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law, those who never had the Bible and they've sinned, what happens? They'll perish outside the law. Are they innocent? No. Are they without excuse? No, no one's without excuse. Why are they not without excuse? They were given creation. They were given uh, knowledge. And we're going to see what else they were given here. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, they didn't have the Bible. There are people groups who've never had a Bible, don't know the gospel. Do by nature the things contained in the law. By nature, God places within the, the human nature right from wrong. What is right and what is wrong. There's a God consciousness built into every heart, the Bible tells us. No matter where they are, where they live, where they, uh, what, what hemisphere they're in. And when these gen- and Gentiles here is everybody who's not Jew. So when these heathen, Gentiles, Americans, whoever you want to call them, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law, what? Written in their hearts. Would you please mark that verse? Because the Bible tells us everyone has the law of God, the basic knowledge of right and wrong, written in their heart. I didn't say that. God says that by his Holy Spirit. Their conscience, also God gives every person a conscience, which is an in, in, inner umpire. Uh, it can, it's not an infallible guide. It is a guide. And, and it working with the word of God is a very... Uh, a good thing to lead us into in, in right things, but they're also given a conscience that says this is right or wrong, also bearing witness, and their thoughts, in the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Well, we learn here that, that every person, no matter where they're born, no matter their, who their parents are, they have a basic knowledge of God. People have to be taught to be atheists. They had to be taught that there's no God in heaven. They had to be taught to turn their back on revelation and creation and the inner pull, the inner voice of their conscience and the word of God that is written in their heart. They had to be taught to violate that. And they are given light. The Bible says every person on earth is given light. Maybe not to the same extent that others are blessed to have, but but God gives light to every person and they are to live up to the light, and they are responsible before God. They all can discern the, the difference between good and evil according to the Scriptures. And those who have not heard the plan of salvation are responsible or accountable to God. But this we lo- know, that Jesus holds little ones in high esteem. We see that through all these uh, portions of Scripture. Allow them to come unto me, he says in Matthew chapter 18. Allow them to, to learn of me. They should be taught of me. They should be graciously loved and nurtured and pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it easy for them to believe. Make it a natural thing for them to call upon the name of the Lord. Am I saying that children shouldn't be rotely taught the Scriptures? No, of course not. Should they not be? The first songs they should sing should be hymns of praise to the Lord. Should they be taught Bible verses? Yes. Should they be in, in camp and Sunday school and all those things? Yes. I'm merely pointing out, don't take the, the parent, parenting and the 
regurgitation of those things back to you is evidence that they, are save, that they, they know the Lord savingly. All those things the Lord will use to bring them to himself and we should point them to Jesus and lead them to the Lord, but be careful that you do not jump the gun and assume certain things that are not there. Allow them to come to me. We should never stand in the way of a child wanting to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and loving him and owning him as Lord and Savior. This I have seen in my ministry, not only my own family and children I've ministered to, but where children are taught in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, the Lord will do his work in their heart, and they will come to him. It will be a natural, uh, beautiful thing that, that we see in the work of the Lord, and they, they certainly can. It's a blessed thing to know from the Scriptures that, that, uh, the affection that God... In fact, one of the things he tells us to do is to call him Father. This relationship that we have with him is such a gracious one. And as you think of a precious child who di- has died, we can rest in these thoughts. And again... Uh, in a chapter on this, Dr. MacArthur says, God claims ownership of the little ones from every culture, tribe, and nation and people. Isn't that a blessed thought tonight? God always shows compassion on those he regards as innocent ones. And in certain circumstances, God's compassion on his innocent ones is expressed through death and their coming to dwell with him in eternity, bypassing a life of sin and debauchery and horrible deprivation and famine and all other kinds of things that they might be exposed to had they lived and wind up in, maybe into eternal punishment. All children who, who die live in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. They are blessed forever in their death and part of that vast crowd of witnesses that we will one day join, many, many, countless many of them will have been those who died in infancy. And for that reason, we believe that heaven will be greater populated than hell. Christ will have his victory. His hosts, his people will be far more than those who follow Satan uh, to eternal damnation. May the Lord bless his word tonight. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have been in deep water tonight. These things are, um, Lord, are, are very sobering to us, but we thank you for the truths of your word and that these who die young, the babies, are innocent who come to live with you. Lord, may we who have children who influence these children, these precious Sunday school teachers and children's workers, be very careful that we pattern your truth, that we deal with them very, very soberly and point them to you And, Lord, do nothing that would mislead them or give a false assurance or to be a stumbling block into them even coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive this nation for our sin of abusing children. We think of the great curse and the the abortion sins uh, that, that, that their blood cries out in our nation. And then the media... That, uh, that causes young people to be just a pawn. We think of the child pornography industry. Lord, we're grieved over all these things. Oh, please, Lord, intervene. We beg as your people. We intercede. We have not prayed enough in these areas, I'm sure. We would not see the, the wholesale slaughter of these in our nation and across the world. May we be vigilant. Oh, Lord, save our children those that we're ministering to, those that we go out in the highways and hedges and bring, oh, give us uh, their souls for, Lord, your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' precious name.